Hello, City Church. It is Wednesday, October 7th, and this is your City Church Together podcast. My name is Elisha. I'm going to be sharing with you guys from the book of Acts. That's where I've been reading lately in the 22nd chapter. Uh, Just to give you a little bit of context, uh, this is right after Paul has been kind of attacked by a mob who's very angry with him, uh, both for preaching the gospel to uh, non-Jews, and also they feel, they think that he brought a Gentile into the temple, which was a big no-no. And so he asks if he can say something to the mob after the Roman soldiers kind of pull him out of immediate danger. And this is what he says. Brothers and fathers, listen now to my defense before you. When they heard that he was addressing them in Aramaic, they became even quieter. He continued, I'm a Jew, born in Tarsus of Cilicia, but brought up in this city, educated at the feet of Gamaliel, according to the law of our ancestors. I was zealous for God, just as all of you are today. I persecuted this way to the death, arresting and putting both men and women in jail, as both the high priest and the whole council of elders can testify about me. After I received letters from them to the brothers, I traveled to Damascus to arrest those who were there and bring them to Jerusalem to be punished. As I was traveling and approaching... About noon, an intense light from heaven suddenly flashed around me. I fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to me, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? I answered, Who are you, Lord? He said to me, I am Jesus of Nazareth, the one you are persecuting. Now those who were with me saw the light, but they did not hear the voice of the one who was speaking to me. I said, What should I do, Lord? The Lord told me, Get up and go into Damascus, and there you will be told everything that you have been assigned to do. Since I couldn't see because of the brightness of the light, I was led by the hand by those who were with me and went into Damascus. Someone named Ananias, a devout man according to the law, who had a good reputation with all the Jews living there, came and stood by me and said, Brother Saul, regain your sight. And in that very hour, I looked up and saw him. And he said, The God of our ancestors has appointed you to know his will, to see the righteous one and to to hear the words from his mouth. Since you will be a witness for him to all people of what you've seen and heard. And now, why are you delaying? Get up and be baptized and wash away your sins, calling on his name. After I returned to Jerusalem and was praying in the temple, I fell into a trance and saw him telling me, Hurry and get out of Jerusalem quickly because they will not accept your testimony about me. But I said, Lord, they know that in synagogue after synagogue, I had those who believed in you imprisoned and beaten. And when the blood of your witness Stephen was being shed, I stood there giving approval and guarding the clothes of those who killed him. He said to me, Go, because I will send you far away to the Gentiles. They listened to him up to this point. Then they raised their voices, shouting, Wipe this man off the face of the earth. He shouldn't be allowed to live. As they were yelling and flinging aside their garments and throwing dust into the air, the commander ordered him to be brought into the barracks, directing, that he be interrogated with the scourge to discover the reason they were shouting against him like this. As they stretched him out for the lash, Paul said to the centurion standing by, Is it legal for you to scourge a man who is a Roman citizen and uncondemned? When the centurion heard this, he went and reported to the commander, saying, What are you going to do? For this man is a Roman citizen. The commander came and said to him, Tell me, are you a Roman citizen? Yes, he said. The commander replied, I bought this citizenship for a large amount of money. But I was born a citizen, Paul said. So those who were about to examine him withdrew from him immediately. The commander, too, was alarmed when he realized Paul was a Roman citizen and he had bound him. So there's a couple things that really stick out to me from this passage. Uh, One, as Paul is kind of giving his basic testimony and and why he was bringing uh, a 
you know, well, he didn't actually bring a Gentile with him, but the reason that he went to the Gentiles to share this message, it's, it's interesting to me that the moment that the Jews get very upset is not the moment that he brings up Jesus, or he says the righteous one in verse 14. Uh, previously, just based off of my Christian upbringing and the way that I thought about the Jews, I know that the Jews killed Jesus. Uh, I know that they tended to persecute the disciples uh, for talking about Jesus and that the Pharisees were really angry with that. And so I just thought of this passage typically as, yeah, like they were angry that Paul was telling anyone about Jesus because they were against Jesus. And certainly there were many Jews who were angry about uh, Jesus and him being preached. They just didn't believe that Jesus was the Messiah. They didn't think he was the Son of God. They didn't even really have a category for someone being the Son of God. Uh, they also didn't think that Jesus fit the category of Messiah that they had in their minds. He didn't come as a conquering king and a warrior to overthrow the Romans uh, and lead them out of exile as they would have been in their mind, thinking of the Romans as the conquerors in the same way that Egypt had been. Uh, and so, yes, there were many Jews that were opposed to the Romans, and yet they don't stop Paul when he mentions Jesus this time. It's not until verse 21 uh, when Paul says, when he says that God told him to go because I will send you far away to the Gentiles. It's specifically, specifically when they hear him mention the Gentiles that everybody goes nuts and starts throwing off their clothes and uh, dust in the air, which I'm assuming means they were pretty angry about it. Obviously, we don't do that today, but they were they were angry. They said, wipe this man off the face of the earth. I mean, to be serious, they were ready to kill him for suggesting that it was something that God would want a person to do, to go and tell a non-Jewish race about Yahweh about, and, and about his Messiah. So that just seeing that, that absolutely broke my heart when I realized that just the sheer hatred that they would have had to have for another group of people, another race of people that was not their race, Jewish, uh, to say, we're going to kill you because you keep telling them about Jesus. You keep showing them the way to salvation. Uh, you're directing them to our God, and we don't want you to do that. Now, I think to be fair, it's interesting as well that Paul, at the very beginning of this, he says, I was zealous for God just as all of you are today. When Paul saw their response uh, to want to beat him uh, at the very beginning of this thing, Paul said, well, I used to be like that too. So he has compassion for them because he realizes that he was the same, he was the same way that they were. Uh, and it's interesting too that he says, zealous for God. Paul uses those words. And so the, the thing that makes me really even more sad in some ways is that wrapped up in the, this idea that many zealous Jews would have had, which would have included uh, the Pharisees, just thinking of it as a very strict sect of Judaism. So the, these are folks that they are intent on keeping the law because they believe that in the past, 
their culture has been contaminated when they worship other gods, when they go away from the law. And the people who tend to entice them to do that are other nations, non-Jewish nations. If you read the Old Testament and the stories of the kings of Judah and of Israel, then you'll see that over and over again, that it's the pagan nations that lead them away from God. And so this zeal that many of them had to keep the Gentiles out was was actually cast in a uh, religious light. Now, I'm not saying that it was right for them to do that. In fact, I think if you read Scripture more closely, then you'll see that, that from the very beginning, God has always had a heart for all the nations to come and worship Him, and that His intent was that Israel would be like a nation set on a hill, that they would follow the Lord and worship the Lord alone and not worship as the nations did, and that the nations of the world would actually come to Israel to learn about Yahweh. And so God's heart was that the nations would always come to him. He does love people of every tribe, tongue, and nation. That's the end game of where we're headed. Uh, And God has always, in Old and New Testament, been a God who loves the nations. He just intended for his people Israel to be the witness that would draw the nations in. And yet, the thing that I want to point out there is that It was a religious narrative, a religious story that the Jews had believed in their mind that led them to have a racial hatred of another group. There's something incredibly important for us to recognize about that, the power of racial narratives. And especially when when that religion can even get tied into those things. I think as well, we see the same thing happen whenever Paul is is taken in by the Romans. So the, the Romans, they pull him out because the, the Jews want to kill him again. And they're like, this is getting out of hand. We got to figure out what's going on. So they their immediate decision is, well, let's just take him into the back and we'll give him the scourge, which is an awesome noun. That sounds like a great wrestler. Welcome the scourge. Uh, but in, that's it, it probably wasn't very funny to Paul. And so... He is, they're about to beat him and interrogate him so that that he'll explain to them uh, whatever was going on. And it is not until they find out that Paul is a Roman citizen that they start to think about whether or not it's actually a good thing to beat somebody uh, with with no reason whatsoever. So the Romans, just as the Jews... That the only reason they cared about doing something that was unjust is when they realized that Paul had Roman citizenship, when they realized that he was like them in a way that, uh, you know, obviously like racially that gets in a little bit. It's not, it can't line up one-to-one with the way that we think about race now, both because race is a social construct and because it's just very different. And yet there was, again, a narrative of Uh, racial difference there. If you are not Roman, then we can treat you unjustly and we don't need to feel bad about it. If you are not Jewish, then er, if you want to tell people who are non-Jewish about God and about Jesus, that's not okay because they're different from us, that they're not someone that, that we should care about simply because they're made in the image of God. I think as we think about the implications of this passage for us today, we just have to recognize 
uh, especially those of us who are, are white Christians, that there has been a racial narrative in America for a very long time. How does a group of people get to a point where they feel like it is okay to enslave and oppress another group of people? You don't just start doing that. You have to tell yourself a story in order to get to that point. And I think that that's exactly what happened uh, in America's history. And I think that that doesn't just go away. It didn't just go away when the Emancipation Proclamation uh, was passed. It didn't just go away whenever the, some of the Civil Rights Acts were passed. The racial narrative stays. And so when we think about, as Christians, loving our neighbor— uh, when we think about the reality that every single person around us is made in the image of God, we have to reckon as well with the history of our nation and with the history of what our ancestors have done, uh, especially towards black people, but also towards indigenous peoples, thinking about Native Americans and many of the evil and sad things that were done by our forefathers in just taking away land and, and moving people and massacring people. There were a lot of tragic things that were done to those people as well. Uh, and so for us, especially for those of us in our church who are white, we've got to be thinking about that this racial narrative from our past um, that has been tied into Christianity in different ways as well, sadly. Um, you know, there's a reason that the three-fifths compromise was passed. Uh, it was said that, you know, in, in a certain state that black people only counted as three-fifths of a person. They had to remove the image of God from black people in order to treat them the way that they were treating them. They had to think of them as subhuman. And I'm not saying that, it, that anyone, you know, who's in our church is, is thinking that way today explicitly uh, and that, that we're intentionally doing that. What I would say, though, is that we've got to realize that the narratives and the stories that allowed those things to happen, they don't just go away. There's a reason that racism is popping up again, and it's popping up in a, in a different form. You know, I think uh, when I think about something very practical for us to consider when we, when we think about racial narratives and the way that they impact the way that we live our lives, I actually think about Bradley Academy. Obviously, that's a school that we have a relationship with, uh, and it's a school that's minority uh, led in many ways. Uh, I think that the basic breakdown of dem demographically of the school is 40% African American, 40% uh, Latino, and then 20% white and other, uh, which means, you know, for uh, a white, majority white church going into that place, that we are a minority entering into that space. And I think that historically, the way that we as white Christians have thought a lot about doing ministry in the inner city or uh, local local missions or even foreign missions is, man, we've got great news. We've got resources. We've got wisdom, and we need to come into this place that doesn't have those things. And when we come in, we're going to be such a blessing to this place. And I do think that that comes from a a genuine heart that wants to help. I think that that's, that's good, and I think it's great that we are apart and connected to that school. And yet, there's a dangerous narrative there that we're forgetting a lot of things. Why are we assuming that we have 
something to to that's going to bless and benefit them? Why are we not assuming that we might actually have a whole lot to learn from the people in that school, from the people in the neighborhood around that school? Why are we also assuming that there hasn't been a lot of great work that has already been doing and that people are doing in the neighborhood and, and at Bradley Academy? My encouragement to all of us, just as we think about that one practical place where we go, is to recognize that, yes, people are all made in the image of God, and also God has gifted people in in a way, and that there have been many people who've been fighting against this narrative of racial difference for a long time. Uh, and in places like Bradley Academy, where there are more minorities than, than uh, the majority white culture, They've been having to fight against that for a long time. And so there's a lot that we can learn from our brothers and sisters at Bradley Academy. There's some fantastic teachers and faculty there. There's some amazing families. And there's probably a lot of work that we don't realize that's already happening in that neighborhood and the neighborhood around our church. So my encouragement to us is first to examine our own hearts for this narrative of racial difference. Where are the ways that we don't even recognize that we're assuming that we are in a higher position and others that are not our our race or our demographic um, are in a lower position. And just to ask God, Lord, will you reveal that to us? Because we don't want to perpetuate this. The only way that we are going to see God bring healing to our nation and racial justice to our nation is if we begin by looking at our own hearts and pushing to have a different racial narrative that we teach to our own children. So I'm going to pray for that for us today, okay? Father God, uh, we need your eyes to be able to see our sin. Lord, the past of our nation uh, is is very sad. Uh, there's been a lot of things that have been done in the name of race. Uh, there's been a lot of hatred that has been that has come from uh, from white people towards other races. And Lord, that's my ancestors, uh, God, and that that's the people even who who taught me about life and and many many i know who didn't consider themselves racist just as i don't and yet lord that narrative doesn't just go away god will you open our eyes to see the ways that that narrative affects us today will you help us lord to uh, learn a different way of thinking about people god and and to Lord, to be able to see real justice take place in our city and in our church, uh, at Bradley Academy, in the neighborhood around our church. Lord, there's so much brokenness, and we desperately need your Spirit to move. And Lord, we want to be available in whatever way you would have us to engage. So God, give us that strength to do that. In your name, amen.